you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. All right, good day, everyone, and welcome back to yet another fun episode of College Volleyball Weekly Men's Top 20. And with me on screen are Brad Ross Stratter of UC San Diego, Dan Friend of Lewis, Jay Hosick of George Mason, and hoping that it'll come in just as hot as Dan does off his plane. Cool pilot guy will be Theo Edwards of CSUN after seven complete weeks of play. We enter our eighth episode and we have this new segment we've been doing. We've been kind of throwing our coaches who've been volunteering their time so gracefully in a segment called The Elephant in the Room, which is the matches they've played this last week. And we got to start with Dan. And Miva play kind of took a little bump this week for the Flyers, eh, Dan? Uh, hey, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, ultimately Loyola, Loyola played great. Uh, they're a great team. And so, and, um, you know, we started without Tyler Morgan, and he didn't get to play that match, unfortunately. And so that certainly changed our dynamic. So we started with uh, freshman Diego uh, Estrada. And, uh, but, you know, kudos to Loyal and those guys. They were pretty good and ready to go and, uh, and took care of us. And they ran into a buzzsaw with Ball State at home and lost in five a little bit a few days later. And then we ran into Lindenwood and Ran into six-year AJ, who uh, torched us for a minute on the serving line. And so, um, you know, so that was tough. And, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, we're going to – we got to play Quincy tomorrow, and we got to regroup and go down there at, uh, this afternoon. And uh, I think, like I said, I think the Miva is going to be a gauntlet, and who can steady out and put themselves in a good spot becomes really, really important. And uh, I think every team's in a position. I think you saw McKendry – uh, won their both their matches against Queens, and so, uh, but there'll be a lot of good volleyball in our conference as we move forward. Well, I'm curious what the other coaches uh, socks. It's ironic because within a week's amount of time, it seems like we've had a lot of matches, and I think that was one of the discussion topics that came up last week. Was the Miva scheduling is kind of a nightmare for you guys uh, with how many matches you got to play in a week sometimes? Yeah, it's a little weird. Like I don't know that that we are having the same competitive equity that we've had in the past with normal travel partners, and so certainly not used to it. You know what I mean? You got like Lindenwood's only match was us and we came off playing Loyola. So I think some of that we can get, gets a little bit tough sometimes. And so one of those things that certainly will be a topic of conversation probably at the end of the year. So. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Brad and Jay. Any thoughts on uh, the, uh, the cool rocket guys uh, performance last week in our elephant in the room segment. Now I'm a cool rocket. I went from a cool, I pilot, cool jet guy. Cool pilot guy. Sorry. By the end of today is, uh... <laughs> No, it's cool pilot guy. Yeah, cool yeah. pilot guy. I'll 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 be quick. It, it shows again when you have your one of your better players not playing in a match. Uh, any team across the country, it proves that you know it 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 requires somebody else to step up who maybe is not as experienced or maybe you know is not quite the starter. So there's a reason why. And any team that doesn't have all six or seven of their guys healthy and ready to go. Uh, it changes things. So I think Dan was just victim of that. And 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 I, I, I just want to echo the whole sentiment about the playing schedule for the Miva. It's it's not easy. And I know it was claimed that it was supposed to be for equity, but it doesn't sound very equitable in some points. So um, I'm sure Dan will get his guys fired up again and, and ready to go for Quincy. Quincy's a good team. Karen Kemner is doing some good things over there. And uh, it should be a dogfight, but it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Probably right, you, Brad, any thoughts? No, I mean, yeah, like Lindenwood over Lewis is technically a upset on paper, but like Ian Schuler, AJ Lewis are two stud pin hitters that are, you know, AJ's been doing it for a while and Ian's going to be keep doing it for a few more years. Where it's not too shocking to see them get 16 kills, 15 kills, and then AJ with seven, yeah, seven aces there. Um, so nothing too surprising there. And then um, I think Loyola's, Playing was playing some really good volleyball in that in the Loyola Lewis matchup as well. Um, with Parker had 14 something kills and I think he hit 500 or just below 500. Um, so, so two good two good teams and that played really well on offense against Dan. So it makes it tough to stop. This, this just in AJ just got a two year extension from the NCAA. He had uh, 
he appealed and and got a got an extra couple of years. So good for you, Dan. Hey, he's <laughs> also transferring to Lewis for two more years. He, he <laughs> That's right, AJ Lewis, fifteen kills, five hundred seven aces, nine digs, and twenty two points on the night. But Ian Schuler, as Brad pointed out, he also contributed twenty one points. He hit five sixty and sixteen kills, so a great night. But one of the things that stemmed from the latter week discussion and on volley talk was. Miva just is is super competitive this year. And, you know, the sense everyone's getting, they're, they're looking at teams. Although you look at a team like Loyola has already got a handful of losses in conference play, but it's still, you know, what what is the your outlook on the, the Miva this year, Dan? Well, I, I do think Ball State winning at Loyola and beating them at home is going to be huge down the road. They're four and one right now. Um, you know, they did take the loss at McKendry, but. Ball State's kind of sneakily at the top, uh, along with Ohio State at the same time from that standpoint. I do think there's a little separation with those three teams, and I think there's the other group of us teams. But at the given time, any of those teams can beat the top three teams. And so you saw that happen when Ball State went down to McKendree. And so uh, I think whoever can kind of steady it out, you remember last year there was a three-way tie for first and a three-way tie for fourth. Out of that, so I I just don't know that it's going to be any different. I think you're going to have a bunch of ties. We were talk, I told the guys the other day, every point matters, every game matters, because you're going to get down towards the end and trying to fight for that first round home of the conference tournament, and it's like you want to make sure you put yourself in a good spot. So I just think you're going to see very similar to last year, and somebody's not going to be in the tournament. Somebody's getting ousted. You know who's going to be that team? You saw Queens split with Quincy. You saw Queens split with Purdue Fort Wayne. You saw McKendry. McHenry's four and one, I think, in conference. You know what I mean? So they're That's up right. there in yeah. the top two. And so it's like, you know, I I think it'll be a, a continued uh, battle between the, all nine teams from that standpoint. So it's like that across the country, though, Rob, when you look at it. You know, you have the Miva with with those teams that are, you know, the Ohio States, the, the Loyolas, the Ball States of the world. You have the MPSF with the Grand Canyons, the UCLA's. Uh, and and USC is not to be overlooked. They're a good team. Uh, and then you have the Big West with Long Beach, Hawaii, and Irvine. The EIBA this year is uh, is is got a couple of teams that are separating themselves with Princeton, Penn State, us. And so it's across the board. Everybody, every conference has got uh, a number of teams that can on any given night beat anybody else. I mean, you you just look at what what San Diego did. You look at what Santa Barbara did. You look at what Irvine's doing. It's uh it's a battle across the country. So it's it's a lot of fun to have a lot of teams in the hunt. And Dan's right. There's gonna be some teams left out of the tournament this year that are absolutely deserving to be in it. But unfortunately, we're only gonna have eight. So you gotta you gotta do with what you got. But it's gonna be a lot of fun going down the stretch. Yeah. Brad, anything to add on that? No, no, there's a lot of good volleyball. Well, uh I was going to save this question for later, but I feel like we might as well hit it up now because Jay kind of touched on a little bit of it. But um, something I picked out from Volley Talk, I don't know if you're lurking. I actually put the comment on there. Jay usually lurks on here, but just kind of hides in the back and never really says anything. So, um, <laughs> But the question was, uh, at what point uh, in your pre-conference schedules uh, where your thought, my, your thought process is, well, we won't get an at-large, so I'm going to play my entire bench and develop them for conference play even if we lose some matches, is there a point where you get to that in, in, in a non-conference play? And I'll, I guess I'll open it to all of you. Uh, since the, since the, the post was kind of aimed a little bit at me, I'll go first. I think <laughs> women's volleyball does that pretty well. Uh, they have a lot of conference matches uh, that obviously matter and a lot of non-conference and some of the teams schedule according to RPI strictly. And um, I think in men's volleyball, you're seeing that a little bit. The challenge, obviously, is that, you know, teams are changing at a rapid pace now. From year to year, they're different. So what might be a good team one year might not be a good team the following year. But I think any coach that goes out there in the beginning of the year and goes, well, we're not going to get in that large, so I'm just going to develop my bench from the beginning. I, I, I'm not sure I would follow that route, that philosophy. Um, I think you're always trying to win regardless because, you know, that's what you're trying to do. But you got to tinker around a little bit. You can't find it's very hard to find a lineup in your first match and stick with that the entire year. So at least from my perspective, I think I think you go into it 
trying out a few different things. And as people start to solidify their spots, you start to keep them in the lineup a little bit more. And, you know, the better teams have more depth. So you got to try out more things. And and luckily those teams are surviving right now, but uh, that's at least how I would do it. Well, before we uh, jump on, continue on our topic here, we got to welcome our resident model, Theo Edwards of CSUN, <laughs> who's designed us, who's becoming quite the uh, social media influencer from uh, after his week of play. But uh, Theo, just to catch you up, uh, a question was posed on Volley Talk, where uh, as a coach, you know, at one point, at what point do you say, oh, I'm not going to get in that large, I'm going to play my bench and develop them for conference play, even if we lose some matches. So uh, Jay just responded. I was uh, throw it up to the other guys as well, and that's where I'll, I'll have you in. guys. Yeah, I'll jump <laughs> in. I, I think like my schedule, I look at it and I make it tough. We try to play as many ranked teams as we can in non-conference. Uh, we pepper in region teams, different areas, things like that. And I think when you walk into any year, like you're like, okay, where's the pulse of my team and what level are we playing at? Uh, you know, we walk in our first weekend and we go, all right, so – we're going to open up with uh, some pretty tough competition. We go to Penn State. We go out there. We play UCLA. We, and we kind of test ourselves. If I walk out of the first weekend and I'm 4-0, and I'm like, all right, we might have just set the table for like this at-large piece. Do you know what I mean? If we don't, I don't worry about it too much. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that. So we got at-larges in both 14 and 15. Do you know what I mean? And we got it in 15. We were really, really good. Like, and I mean really good. And like, so we've won a lot of those early ranked games and then walked into conference play sitting like it, whatever it was, 8-0 or 8-1 or, you know. And so then I set the table for that. So I think it, it's a byproduct and creation of what the level that you're playing at. Now, if I get to a point like now, like we're, we took a couple of tough losses. We're trying to figure out what's the right pieces. Like I go in every match trying to, like, I want to win. You know, every, every match I'm playing, we're trying to do that. And like guys are in times in practice or you're trying to figure out what's the right piece on the right matchup. Uh, and then you're doing some of that. So it's a byproduct of the talent that you have in the gym. I don't know if I ever, ever look at it. We might play a team that we feel like we can take our second group and play. And that happens with every group. You know what I mean? In terms of that. And you're like, this is a great opportunity to get all those guys reps. Uh, and hopefully they're trained enough to take care of business. So I, and every coach may be a little bit different, but it's like, you're trying to put your team and get them experience. And now we look at it and we go, hey, guys, we, we want to be in the top half of conference. We have an opportunity to play some ranked teams in the top 20, you know, whether it be Theo's team or Irvine or Hawaii or GC or any of that stuff. So it's like, how do we take advantage of some of that stuff and play at the highest level possible? So, yep. And Rob, right, so, so are they referring to like – once you're not in the conversation for at large playing younger guys to prepare for next year, or is it? I think my sense is it's for the rest of the season, but you know, interpret as you may. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, we, we kind of know, and we weren't going to get an at large bid after really like the third week, you know, with some of the teams mm -hmm. we played, we're going to be a lot of bubble teams with losing to Ohio state and ball state. Um, one of those teams for sure, isn't going to be getting an automatic qualification. So it's, you know, pretty early on, we had that idea and we talked about it as a team. And, you know, our philosophy, you know, is about scheduling the best and the toughest teams. And specifically for us, we want to schedule as many teams that have gone to the NCAA tournament in recent years or are going to be going um, because that's the level we want to be competing at and playing at. Um, so that's kind of how we like to schedule for this season. And then the flip side of it is, you know, after like that third week when we knew we're not in a position to get out large bid, our focus doesn't go to next year. Our focus goes towards conference play and putting us in the best position possible to go and win the Big West Conference Tournament uh, because that keeps every team in it, right? And for us, it's you got two or three matches to be at your very, very best um, out in Hawaii this year to, to go and perform, and then you can go earn your spot into the national tournament, regardless of the at-large, you know? So yeah. everything we've been doing is how do we essentially train, teach, develop for this current year to maximize our conference play, our conference schedule and that conference tournament so that we can be at our best in that week in April. Right. Yep. Do you have anything to add I on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Brad. I think that, you know, given the fact that we're in the same conference, a lot of our goals and what we're trying to achieve is very similar in the sense that every single team in the Big West makes playoffs. And so 
determining the at-large bid portion of it is it's is relevant, but the only sure shot way to get in is to win your conference and to win your conference tournament in specific with the Big West. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting that that I'm sure the person who asked this question might be curious about is that there's a it's really complicated team to team. I think Dan tried to touch on this a little bit, but every single team is a little bit different in structure and nature and work ethic and what is the bench doing, right? And in terms of how hard are they working in practice and are they starting to see a ton of production and success that has earned them opportunities to compete? I think a coach would look at that and say, yeah, like if, if our if our starters are not necessarily working their hardest to be the best version that our team can put out on the floor, but we have other guys that really are and are super dedicated and focused and putting in that time and effort, then I think they'll start to see some time. Um, but you also look at things like, hey, if if we're gonna if we're talking about, hey, are we gonna play our young guys and we start preparing for next year? You got to also consider that you might be benching guys that have had some big careers for you, too. And talking about them maybe coming towards the end of their time at your university and um, and maybe potentially the end of their career and having the the level of dedication that they put in. Um, so are you benching them not because they're work? Are you benching them because they're not working hard? Are you benching them because? They're playing great, but you're just wanting to play the younger guys. You know what I mean? I think there's it sends a statement to your team, irregardless of your decision making. And so I think from a culture perspective and trying to build a team that is constantly pushing to be the best version of themselves by the end of the year, you run some risks by just benching guys just out of principle of like, hey, we're just looking at next year versus have they earned the opportunity to be in that spot. Theo, you know, as you were talking, I, I had flashbacks when I was a kid playing NCAA football, and it's coming out here this summer. So where it was like, all right, I'm playing all the freshmen, all the all the freshmen, and just like, hey, we're gonna get good in two or three years. So where like the reality is, that's not how it works. Oh. You know, you're not playing in a video games where if there's a junior, a senior that's earning and showing that they can play and perform, it's not just like, oh yeah, but the younger guys younger, so we're gonna go with them. By the way, is it is it irregardless or just regardless? <laughs> well, irregardless. In irregardless? Is that a word? Yeah. I think it's irregardless. Yeah. Either way, it's two words, ear and regardless. Hey, listen, Jay, we're volleyball coaches. We are not, <laughs> we are not English teachers. <laughs> <laughs> hey just once like, a just, week jay's gonna get on some word and throw it out there just so you guys just, know so. just like the princess bride i do not believe that is what the word is <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a non-standard adverb in case you're wondering oh okay all right well there you but go. it is a word <laughs> rob did you just look that up yes i yeah. did <laughs> irregardless a non-standard adverb Yes, the photographer <laughs> always says, irregardless of how his subjects are feeling, smile. Okay. Hmm. Well, listen, there that go. just goes to prove the UC education that I got did not work out well. But yeah. <laughs> Well, too far yeah. north there. <laughs> well, let's jump in our, our so believe it or not, it's only our second uh, elephant in the room topic, but it's actually kind of a cool one. Uh, we had the SIAC Big West Showdown in Long Beach that involved Brad's team, UC San Diego, Long Beach State, and then Central State University uh, and Edward Waters College of the SIAC. Uh, Brad, want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, it was uh, it was great. It was a really cool experience, and you know, I think one of the things that made it um, pretty unique to you know with us with Long Beach Central State and Edward Waters is. You know, one of those SIAC teams is going to be competing in the at Long Beach in in May for the national tournament. You know, with that automatic qualification, and um, and I think that really was cool, kind of being able to have that conversation with our team, also around the concept of hey, we're trying to grow volleyball, we're trying to expand it out, we're trying to play some totally new teams, and seeing two new teams that we've never played against, two coaches that I've never met in person. Um, it really kind of speaks volumes to the growth um, that we are having across the country and really across the, the world with NCAA because they had so many international guys 
within their programs, guys from Chicago to guys from all over um, to where it was really, really exciting for us to get to be a part of that and get to experience that and really get to show, you know, those two SIAC teams that it's like, Hey, at the end of the day, this is just volleyball. Right. And we're just people who love volleyball. We want to help as many other volleyball players, volleyball programs as we can. Um, You know, so it was great for us to get to play central state. We were humming, we hit over 500 and had the best hitting percentage over the last 10 years that we've had. And then Edward waters, um, put up a really good fight and they played some really scrappy defense and had some funky uh, um, lineups and rotations where they had some middles hitting some reds and some different, different options going around. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool experience for us to get to compete against those teams. And, uh, and um, yeah, and Long Beach did a great job hosting that and managing that around their big West basketball schedule. So we were glad that we got to, got to host and, and be a part of that and partner with them. Yeah. Well, I figured be, since we're talking about the SIAC, we did get some other news just last week about an additional team to the SIAC, uh, another first point D12 program, and that's Lemoyne Owen College out of Memphis, Tennessee. The seventh team in the SIAC was granted a $75,000 grant to start up their program, which will be happening in 2025. So there's some great social with Wade Gerard, the uh, CEO of First Point, with the uh, university administration at Lemoyne Owen in Memphis, Tennessee. So uh Syac growing and uh they're they're beginning to come out and compete. But with that, I wanted to get the other coaches' thoughts on the expansion, Syac coming, playing against the Big West teams and uh uh anything else that's uh expansion related at this point. <clears throat> I would just say, I mean, kudos to Long Beach and UC San Diego. I'm sure Long Beach probably helped them out a little bit in terms of that and like having those teams come out and I think uh really fostering the growth of the game, you know, like they don't have to play those teams. Um, and I think it's just part of the uh, camaraderie of men's volleyball. I think it's really nice in that sense. We've seen it happen multiple times and even programs going there in terms of that. So I think uh, it's really good for the sport and it's fun to be a part of in terms of that. Yep. Anyone else want to add anything there? I just think the growth is fantastic. Um, and to see the number of schools willing to to participate and the the money that first point is putting up is is really historic i mean for men's volleyball it's it's absolutely incredible uh, but it's not a it's not an astronomical amount of money and so what i always find interesting i think i think the donation to to lemoyne was seventy five thousand dollars yes um, which which in the grand scheme of, of what it takes to hire coaches, to, to get players on board, to figure out a travel schedule. Um, I mean, it's not a, it's not a ton of money. And so it shows the willingness for a university and the, and the excitement for them to add men's volleyball. Um, and that's, that to me is, is truly, truly special. And it's awesome to see it happen in, in the SIAC, a, a place where, you know, this sport has been traditionally white, traditionally Caucasian. And to see a lot of, uh, you know, historically black universities taking on men's volleyball and uh, us seeing a demographic shift for that is is truly, truly special um, because this game is for everyone. And it's it's always has been that way. And and um, to see it growing the way it is, is, is really cool. Yep. Anything else, gentlemen? Because if not, I got a great little positive topic here. Jay's off vacation and went one and zero in the EIVA last week. <laughs> As you said, you celebrating two weeks, two weeks off and a team building exercise. I'm glad those guys remembered how to play volleyball when they came back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's well, like, if you if you saw the score of the first game, it took us a little bit to <laughs> back in the rhythm of things. We got just absolutely waxed in the first game. So, ooh, thirteen twenty five. I'll go ahead and put that out there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate you having Google handy, ready to go. Um, no, it, it, it's nice to get back at, you know, it's nice to, to get back in the gym and, and get the guys going again. The break, uh, it, it was a little longer than expected, but it, it worked out okay. That first game, it, it, we definitely looked like we had not played in a little bit. And GIT's good. They got some good players. You know, they got a good setter and they got a couple of good middles and, and they have an outside hitter from Italy who's really good. And so they're just you know, they're a solid team, but we responded well. Um, you know, we made a couple of changes here and there and a couple of adjustments and it worked out in our favor. And 
and that carried the momentum over to the next night against Fairleigh Dickinson, and we felt good about that. So going 2-0 on a weekend when we've had a couple weeks off, we'll take it. But this week we get right back at it with Charleston, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be right back at the drawing board. And the last of our elephant in the room, hope for Theo. That's Hope International University and CSUN squared off and then his lone match of the week. So Theo had a mini vacation, so to speak. So I want to talk about that a little bit, Theo. Yeah, sure. Um, Hope International came to us and 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 played in our gym. And uh it was it was it was good. I, we had the last couple of weeks have been a little bit interesting, a lot of illness, a lot of injuries for us. Um, and so a lot of lineup shifts and we had an opportunity to play uh, Lorenzo Bertozzi uh, came in at opposite for us and uh, hit 453, had a really, really nice match and, and, and was really consistent for us from the service line. Um, but it was nice for our team. I think we, you know, we were in a little bit of a rut and, and kind of struggling through some of the adjustments and changes some things we've been working on to get better. And um, I thought we found our rhythm pretty nicely in that match and, you know, now we have Dan on Saturday. So excited to see him in California. Don't worry, buddy. I got two games before you. You're not my concern right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm just so saying. excited about that. Yeah, don't worry about us, Dan. Just focus on <laughs> not in front of you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a um, conference play start for the MPSF this last week. So I figured they would jump into results. I think Dan's got to jump off a little early. I wanted to be sure to get his thoughts on stuff that's going on. But uh, we did chat about the uh, the status of the MIVA and the competition that's happening there, but there's so many uh, good results this last week, especially with that conference play happening. So I'm going to put it out to you guys. What matches, I think you actually are going to li list some of the ones that you were, what you're watching from last week, but man, there's some results that I was kind of like, had a, a wink time, like, whoa, what happened there? But uh, like, I'll let you guys run it right here. Just throw one out and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Loyola Ball State is a good combo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Loyola cool Ball game. State. So, uh, Ball State comes in, takes Loyola. What happened that week with the uh, – was it – it was Patrick Rogers that had a great night against Loyola. Is that correct? I'm yeah, he also, had, he also had a great night against Purdue-Fort Wayne earlier in the week. So, he had two. He's having a great year. Yeah, I would agree. Two matches back-to-back that – uh, really kind of balance those guys out. So, but yeah. a really good weekend for the Rogers last name with Patrick Rogers and Carter Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Carter Rogers. That I mean, we're talking about matches. Theo and I called it Grand Canyon two times over BYU at BYU in three zero sweeps, no less. Yeah, uh, and and not only you know was Camden Gianni good and Slight was really good throwing the rock around. Carter Rogers kid's got a cannon for an arm. You know, he jumps out of the gym. He's got a real heavy swing. Um, and, I mean, real bummer that that Stanley went down at the end of that match and there was all this kind of hullabaloo and, and what was, you know, somebody was challenging something and somebody else was challenging something. The bottom line is it's a bummer that the kid went down. And, and I don't, you know, I know there's a lot of people that think that, that Gianni flew under the net and it was like this big thing. He was His foot was on the line, just like 99% of every other swing around the country. It was just unfortunate uh, that, that John came down and landed on his foot. I hope he's okay. I hope he can come back to play. Um, you know, he earned a spot to swing. He's been playing libero and serving specialist for so long. But Grand Canyon separating themselves from, from some people. And, uh, you know, they were number one for my pick this week for sure. Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Slight, man, like, you know, easily, I don't know, top two center in the country right now in my head. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, uh, pretty impressive uh, wow, he's running that clip and then how confident he's doing some other things, you know, so. And night one stand out because Jackson Hickman, who's had a great year as one of the best outside hitters in the NCAA, hit negative. And they still find a way to win in three. Which, if you're walking out of that match and you're BYU, it's got to be like, okay, he's not going to hit negative tomorrow. How are we going to try to slow them down? How are we going to try to stop them? And then, really, night one transition, GCU hit under 100, which is, for Nick Slight, is um, pretty tragic. Um, you know, they were still pretty darn good in first ball. Um, but then, night two, they figured it all out, and overall, they're hitting over 500 and very impressive performance night two by Carter Rogers and Camden Gianni um, across the board. And really, Rico Wardlow is having another good year. 
um, as well. And him and Nick Flight have a really impressive connection, and a lot of their a lot of their transition swings, a lot of their offense is just very, very refined and very, very difficult to stop. Yeah. Hey guys, I gotta jump off. You guys are awesome. Uh, Theo, I'll see you in a few days. Good luck right, on the yeah. week. Sorry, Rob. Troubles, man. And by the way, Slight's my pick for the week, and I'm going to put it out there right now. <laughs> nice, cool pilot guy. Well played, well played. <laughs> Catch you later, Dan. Well, you know, one of the things that, that caught my ear and eye was night, well, let's go with night one. I look at that first set of night one, 34-32. I wonder that things would have changed had BYU flipped the script on that one because the rest were due sets. It was 25-23, 25-23, the rest of the way. And, you know, as uh, Brad pointed out, I mean, BYU is containing Grand Canyon, which doesn't happen that often offensively. I mean, they hit 223, which I think is the lowest they've hit this season. So uh, BYU is running with them. And, but again, uh, Brad hit it on the head, right? Like to have to have Jackson Hickman, who is a large part of that scouting report, hit as poorly as he did. Um, I mean, they essentially came in and did exactly what they were thought they should do. And to get all three of those sets induced, ah, I mean, I know BYU's thinking that first night, like, damn, we we let that one slip away. I mean, they definitely they could have won all three of those and they had they had opportunities to do so. Uh, but it's a testament to what GCU is doing. And they've been doing it not only this season, but last year too. And when when the going gets tough and they need a point, they might be one of the best teams in the country at figuring out how to get that point. And that is a a testament to what they're doing, the culture they have. Matt Worley is 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 really doing a fantastic job with that group. Yeah. Well, on night two. I was listening because I was driving on these uh, congested Southern California freeways and listening to Jeremy Jordan and, and the crew. And I felt like BY, or I'm sorry, the uh, Grand Canyon's block came up really big in key moments again. Yeah, I felt like there was four strings of four or five points where another, another Grand Canyon block, another block for point. You know, they may be doing it offensively, but Cameron Thorne and, um, Rico Wardlow have really been patrolling that net for the Lopes this year. And I think they get overshadowed because they've got such an, a, a mass, like an awesome trio of hitters and Gianni Hickman and now Rogers added to that mix. Um, they're going to be tough. You know, people are saying, no, Grand Canyon's not a number one team. Like, I know, prove me wrong. You look at the numbers and you look at who they're beating. It's hard for me to say they're, yeah, they're definitely contending for a number one team for sure. Who's, who's saying that Grand Canyon is not number one? They're undefeated. And they beat some pretty big teams along the way. I don't know <laughs> what they're looking. For. I'm guess a Long who, Beach fan. This is who we. <laughs> yeah, this is who we. I called them early in this year as a dark horse. I'm not even so sure they're a dark horse anymore. They're they're a handful. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the- early on, remember we talked about like, oh, it's scheduled, right? They haven't they haven't seen quite enough tough teams. Like, let's see what you go to Provo and do that. What's the win percentage? I don't well, know. It was ninety three. It's now a little it's- less now. It might yeah. Be- now it's ninety one. <laughs> By the way, and and you know, Rob, you mentioned earlier lurking around on Bully Talk. I love how somebody posted my win percentage. Like, like I'm on par with the with the BYUs and the Hawaii's of the world with win loss percentage. Give me a break. I think I've got it like sixty some percent. <laughs> hey, they're fact checking you, Jay. They're fact checking. <laughs> any any clicks we can get on the website, we'll take it. Yeah. Well, what one of the other matches that uh, another EIBA uh, actually match up was the Princeton. Penn State series, I thought would have been a little tighter, but the two three zero scores with Penn State coming out on top, and you know, Penn State just finding a way to do it. Michal Koval, who's been, you know, I'm like, oh, they're going to go to Kerr. They've got a few other options than Toby, but Toby Ziono had his night. He had a, a had Toby nights, which is pretty amazing in itself. But Penn State really getting it done, and I'll let Jay, the resident EIBA guy, talk to that. Well, I I think you look at. Uh... Toby coming back, John Kerr coming back, you know, they're, they're back at full strength now, pretty much. Uh, and Penn States, they're just going to keep fine tuning and keep doing little things here and there. I think the question mark 
has been answered a little bit. I think Luke is, is kind of separating himself from the young guy and, um, you know, taking over the setting duties permanently, but I mean, you never know, you never know what can happen in the future. And, but, you know, Princeton, uh, you know, they had a couple of opportunities and just kind of let it go a little bit. And, you know, they're a good team uh, when they're inspired. And if they're not inspired, which I don't know why you wouldn't be against Penn state, but if they're, you know, kind of having an average night. Next thing you know, they're like, man, let's just move on to the next thing. And nothing phases them. That's the thing about Princeton. Win, lose, draw. It just doesn't seem like anything phases them too much. Yeah, there's uh, looking at the stats here. It looks like a 11 to 3 aces uh, was the only stat line that Princeton had against uh, Penn State. But low hitting match, 216 to th- uh, 139 on night one. And, uh, <laughs> I'm assuming that's the defense taking care of that. I didn't get to look at the other uh, stat lines, but uh, Toby and McCall is saying, but Ben Harrington leading the way for the Tigers that night when 11 kills, two errors hitting 250. So um, with that, one of the other series that caught my eye as well. And uh, well, let's see, anything else to say, gentlemen, on that Penn State Princeton? No, I just think Penn State, their outsides and pairing with Ryan Merck at Libero, they've kind of transformed into a really strong passing team. Not that they weren't last year, but I think last year between Wagner and Fisher, that was where most eyes went. And now it's like, Hey, this is a really strong passing team and they passed way better than Princeton um, over the weekend. So I think they've kind of changed their identity a little bit Um, and passing well when you have Toby and then uh, um, Owen Rose in the middle too, is two pretty good middles to set when you, when you're in system. Yeah. Was it last week that, that Penn State lost to PFW? Yeah, two weeks ago, yeah. Two weeks ago? Yeah, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that can happen when you have tough losses and also good wins, right, and momentum shifts and and guys relaxing. And, and it's interesting to see, you know, Princeton had a – had a stretch there where they had some really, really nice wins, right? They beat Pepperdine, they beat Santa Barbara, who come on their swing to the East Coast. And then Penn State goes through some rough patches. And I think that those two teams get back in the lab and they're looking at video a little bit differently, right? How can we how can we change? How do we improve? Maybe one team's looking at like, hey, we're pretty good. We just need to fine tune. One team's going, hey, we're not that great. And let's look in the mirror and figure some things out. And then to come into this matchup and, and play the way that they did in Euro. 20 kills, 371 uh, on the 16th. And, I mean, for them to to obviously still lose after he plays that well, um, really, really impressive for Penn State. Yeah. Well, the uh, other matchup I was looking at, we kind of talked about a little bit. Ball State uh, coming out last week, two pretty big wins. But, you know, and Dan mentioned that they're kind of sneakily at the top. But, I mean, Donan's got his guys playing well. I mean, after a first point, getting a – uh, Tanashi and Davazacheva back for that uh, first point collegiate challenge. You know, yeah, they had one stumble, but I mean, they look really good. You know, Lucas Machado, their true freshman setter, the Brazilian, is running a really good offense. But you know, Rogers and Davazacheva, and you've had their middles have been really consistent. But uh, thoughts on Ball State and what Donan's doing there? Oh, no one, no thoughts. All right, good. Hey, Donan, <laughs> win it all. <laughs> no i think that they've been forced to kind of get more balanced and i felt like in the beginning of the year it was like hey where's tanashi where's tanashi let when's he going to get healthy and when he got healthy or eligible or you know obviously there were a couple of things that were taking place there but once he finally got on the court it felt like all of, all of the offense and the hope of that team was kind of riding through him um but now we're starting to see a lot of other guys step up and play some really good ball and I think Don is doing a great job of, of finding the balance there and, and getting his team going and, you know, to, 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 de, to defeat a team like Loyola, um, you know, is always difficult. I, I, you know, Parker, Parker Van Buren is just an absolute monster. And we saw what he did a, a, against Lewis and um, you know, a great victory there. And so he obviously still had 13 kills and, and they figured out a ways to slow him down, but to, you know, once you get to that fifth set, sometimes just a coin flip, and uh, to get to that fifth set and, and knock away all the off, man, that's a big win. Really big win yeah. for them. Well, the other match I wanted to look at was another uh, shocking 3-0 sweep on both nights was the, the UCLA Pepperdine series. But I, mean, I didn't think it would be as 
separated as it was, but I wanted to get your, your coach at the coach's thoughts on this, because it just, I thought there's more of a battle going on, at least early on in the sets than UCLA ran away with it. Once they got to right around 12, 13, 14 points. So thoughts on those, that matchup. Yeah. Pepperdine's in rebuilding mode. They're not, they're not the team that everybody knows and recognizes from years past. Uh, Jonathan is, you know, got some new pieces in there. He's got a couple of guys he's working in. He's got some young guys, um, but they're rebuilding this year. So they're, they're still a good team. I'm not saying they're not, but they're not at that level that they have been in years past. So uh, it doesn't surprise me and I'm sure it doesn't surprise anyone else on the screen. Yeah. I think from the coaching perspective, I think UCLA around this time of year starts to hone in on a lineup and that starts to build some consistency that starts to build a little bit more of a rhythm. Um, you know, and I think that really showed and, you know, Pepperdine's weakness has been figuring out who's going to be their third passer between Akeen Akinwami and Cole Kaczynski, who the UCLA guys obviously know really, really well from the last three, four years um, that he was a part of that program. So uh, so I think they were pretty clued in and pretty dialed in on how to exploit and really maximize their serving and their arms from the end line um, to exploit, you know, that one uh, chink um, within uh, Pepperdine service receive. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, this one, I, this actually wasn't a match that I was able to watch, but I always think when you when you look at the scores on night two, um, and I mean, it was it was wasn't close, kind of like you were saying, Rob. Um, you know that the serve and pass game was was a big part of it, right? And to to not be able to get out of out of certain rotations and and maybe have some um, you know some issues in terms of in terms of side and out is is probably part of part of the issue there and. UCLA is a really, really great team. And I think they're capable of doing that to anybody. And kind of like, like uh, Jay was saying that, the, you know, Pep, Pep's got some young guys. They've got a lot of guys trying to figure out their role. And uh, when you go against a team of that, of that skill set and that ability, um, it's really challenging if you're not at your best. Yeah. Well, night two, you saw the uh, Zach Rama get the starting nod, 12 kills, 381 and Sean McQuiggan in the middle, nine kills, zero errors. But uh looks like uh, Coach Spraw's locked in on Libro, and that would be Ethan Champlin. Champlin. <laughs> One of the best outside hitters in the country, and he's your libero. <laughs> I, like I, it really says a lot about the roster, right, that you can do that. Um, he start, he's starting at outside on every roster in the country, Jeez. and he might be the best libero at the same time. And, and he's probably going to go play pro afterwards as an outside hitter. Yeah, yeah. this summer he had a pretty great tournament at the Pan Am Cup as an outside hitter too. For <laughs> good, good for him. You know what? It, it, let's give the kid some some kudos. You know, you, it takes some pretty mature thought process to be able to look at your coach and go, "Whatever the team needs, I'm in." If you want me to be a libero, I'll be a libero. If you want me to be outside hitter, I'll be outside. You want me to you want me to set, I'll set. Like whatever the team needs. Ethan's one of those kids that just seems to go, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I do. So good for yeah, him. Jay, I was going to say that too. And based on the fact that they won a national championship with him on the left, I think that conversation is even more unique, right? Like, Hey, I know you were a national championship outside hitter for us last year and arguably maybe our best player, if not one of two or three, um, we're going to put you at libero now. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty, pretty amazing. And kudos to John Sparrow, you know, to be able to, to, to harness a culture where Ethan's like, Hey, I'm all in whatever, whatever the team needs, let's do it. Yep. So well done. Well, when you talk to uh, Champlain, he's just, he's got the team first mentality and the guy is so humble, you know, and, and you talk to any of the coaches there, it's like, he is easily the best leader we've seen come around on the court. And we see him doing that in his club, his high school. He was always that guy, that good leader. So, you know, he's, you know, he's practicing what he preaches. Yeah, you know, he, he talks softly, but carries a big stick, so to speak. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Rob. I, I wanted to actually mention the one of the things that that is so interesting about him. We were at the Santa Barbara tournament last year um, and then saw them again this fall. And when they walk in the gym and for all the young volleyball players that are listening, Ethan is not only the guy who's willing to carry the water bottles, he's carrying the training kit. He is 
He's lugging around all of the equipment that the team needs. At one point, me and my assistant coach were kind of in awe because he had two bags, two rolling bags behind him. He had a bag around his shoulders and all three of which were not his stuff. They were all team items. And I think there's a lot of programs where you get older guys and especially talented players that don't feel like that stuff is for them. For all the young players watching, great leaders are willing to do that stuff. Yep. Yep. That's a really, really good uh, story to point out because it's a hundred percent true. Servant leadership goes a long way because it sets the uh, tone in your gym. What are you willing to do for your team? Yep. So absolutely. Um, I always try to avoid the team that I usually work for and represent on here, but they had a really good weekend and I was super excited. UCI went up North to play Cosby Stanford Cardinal took both nights three, one. And I didn't expect that result. But when I heard that again, no Will Rotman and no Mo Swag, that's the new name that I've given them because of Jay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, still a good win nonetheless, because that is a talented Stanford roster, not to take anything away from uh, Alex Rotman, the brother of Will Rotman, who had a great weekend uh nathan litsky who's been setting some phenomenal offense for the cardinal but um irvine came in with yet another different lineup (laughs) you saw will darcy start out for the first time and then switching back to the middle was uh uh, max gregorev and then uh halir hanno stayed at the left side and then you saw some akil tangatur i'm like i don't know how we're gonna look come big west conference play but maybe i shouldn't because i have two big west coaches on here to figure that out so (laughs) But um, Irvine doing some good. Uh, Halir Heno had a phenomenal weekend, but I'll let you guys talk about uh, the Irvine Stanford series. Yeah. Stanford, uh, obviously a good team, but they ran into uh, one, one Halir Heno. Had 23 kills the first night, hitting 422. 28 kills the second night, hitting 345. Had three aces. Uh, that kid is an absolute beast. Uh, and I think they moved their opposite back to the middle. I don't know if one of the middles maybe had an injury or they thought maybe that he was better back in the middle than he was on the right side. But the 6'10 Darcy kid uh, could be somebody that's really going to be a handful in the future uh, if when he starts to get into a little bit more rhythm. He looked a little out of sorts at moments. But on the whole, he was he was hitting the ball well and getting in people's air space when he's blocking. And Irvine, Irvine's good. Irvine, Long Beach, Hawaii in the Big West somebody's getting left behind scary yeah yep that's a great point that's a great point jay go ahead brad yeah i mean to me i think uh one person you didn't mention rob cole power is playing some really good volleyball really good in serve receive getting some defense um i think he he kind of showed he was the best libero on the court um in that matchup and you know where luke turner for stanford has been playing some really good volleyball um, on their side of things. And then it's interesting seeing how Irvine, you know, by taking out Flexin and inserting Akil Tengatar, almost completely changes how they play the game and who they are from being a big out of system with big arms with Heno and Flexin on the left to now with Akil and Power and Heno, you become a pretty darn good passing team, you know, and they pass better than Stanford. Um, over the weekend and then you set middle you move Maxime back into the middle and and you got Campbell who's been having a really really steady consistent year um, connecting with Sheward and their team completely changes so it'll be really interesting to see how NIF's able to maximize and utilize almost two totally different lineups within just one or two small shifts of the of the matchup to see how he can you know, get some edges over teams throughout conference play. Yeah. Yeah. These guys hit it on the head from a stats perspective. The the thing that is so interesting about this and what Irvine is doing is chemistry is such a big part of this game. And, you know, unlike other sports and, and obviously chemistry is great in every sport, but this is not a sport where you can take the ball and go go isolation on the right side and find a way to score 50. And if you have one great player, they'll just carry you, right? The the passing in the seams and and for from explosive serves and your ability to who's gonna get that off blocker ball and who's gonna go get that that broken play. 
so much of that is is really valuable when you have guys that have played together and, and the way that they are continuing to shift the lineup but still have success and still play at a really high level is really a testament to what they're doing at Irvine. I mean, this is this is really, really incredible. And obviously, it all starts with Hilaire Heno, who is, you know, kind of the staple piece for them and and a guy who who gets gets things going, but to have the have the 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 rotations of the lineup and be successful is really difficult. It's why you don't see a lot of teams doing it. Um, but for UCI to be doing it and to go up north and, and get two wins, Rotman or not, uh, this is really impressive. Yeah. Well, there's uh, one other series I, I want to draw attention. It's not a top 20 matchup, but it was a the preseason one and two in the NEC. And that was St. Francis taking Long Island both nights three, two in dramatic fashion. So that'll be an interesting matchup to watch down the line. I, I just, you know, I saw St. Francis come to Irvine. They were a good team. Nathan Zini led the way both nights, but that is a one freaking big opposite who hits the ball with a lot of power. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's the offensive player of the week or got some kind of uh, conference award because he, he went off this weekend. And that was a rematch of the NEC championship game as well. Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> Definitely, uh, uh, probably a little bit of pain pack uh, from St. Francis and wanting to get Long Island back for, for last season. Yep. So they're going to be the two teams you see in the championship again this year, I believe. St. Francis runs arguably one of the fastest gap-go combinations in the country. And with an opposite that big, if you're not paying attention, you can you can get cut off guard a little bit. It's going to be a fun season for that conference. And I think both those teams are deserving of being in that championship. But that's my call early. So that's uh, the auto bid next year for NEC. That's is that for sure? This is a voting yeah. game still. This is their second year in existence, uh, and they will have a, not a championship this year, AQ, but following year they will in twenty five. And then down to one at large, unless you expand the tournament. Correct, <laughs> and, and that's the challenge again too. Imagine now if if it's twenty twenty five and we're in this situation, and you've got Hawaii, Grand Canyon. B uh, 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 Long Beach, Irvine. <laughs> There's so many teams that are going to be looking at each other, going, "What else do we got to do?" And it's like, well, you either expand the tournament or win your conference because it's going to be tough. Well, before we go to our players of the week, any other matches that you want to uh, bring to attention, or do we we nail knock on? Well, George Mason, what to know? Two and oh, because yeah. you had a FDU hosting Carl and his boys, so uh, another big top twenty win there. Four J off of vacation. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, let's just go into who are your players. Obviously, Nick Slight already stolen by Dan, who uh, stepped off early. In fact, that maybe that's what you guys should do. Come on for the first five. Say here's my player of the week, and then come jump off the show. <laughs> So let's go with Jay. Jay looks like he's very locked and loaded. He's yes. I love it when you bring that. All right. My pick for the week is also sponsored by the Beard Lovers of America. And that's beard, not beer. Beard <laughs> Lovers of America. Brett Sheward, setter for UC Irvine. 48 assists on the first night. They hit 368. 51 assists on the second night. They hit 343. The kid has got the strongest beard in the game. And he's short, and he's rocking it right now for Irvine. So, Shuey, you get my pick for the week. Wow, just one for Jay. He's Last week, he listed the entire Queens team, and he's down <laughs> to one this week. I got a whole list of them right here, but I, I decided <laughs> to go with one because I didn't want to break any hearts out there. All right, let's go over to Brad. Well, I had Slight and Shue uh, <laughs> all, all all set up, but I think uh, this one might be the national player of the week. Um, Halir Heno, just impressive performance, 28 kills, 23 kills, um, a huge show in there. Obviously, uh, Sheward was dishing him the rock throughout all those kills, but um, pretty pretty darn impressive performance here against the top five team. Nice. Theo, only one, or are you going to go to a team? Yeah, I'm going Parker Van Buren. Uh, for his 500 performance over Lewis. Uh, I thought that was 
pretty incredible and he's he's doing say that's really- dan's face come on say that's dan- oh he's not here oh <laughs> well, and i assume that you guys already elephant in the room him while i was gone so i yes I got those matches but so i yeah um, you don't want to kick him while he's down he's gonna be great next week i guarantee it watch um and the other one i'm going colin heath 10 kills 568 for george mason after a two-week lull Get down 25-13 in the first set. Come back and roll. Nice. George, nice. Mason, let's go. Call little love. Easy. little love for Absolutely. the Patriots. Nice. Absolutely. It just shows in context. I mentioned 25-13. Jay's bummed. Theo mentioned it, and Jay's like, nice. Nice. <laughs> how, it's how you word it, Rob. It's, is it is it a right. positive or is it a negative? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told my guys in the uh, in between the sets – one and two, I looked at him and I looked at I uh, said, uh, hey, you know, the beauty of volleyball is it starts zero, zero. So let's just go out there and get what we got. You know, <laughs> they responded yep. well. <laughs> well, with that, uh, are what you watching in week eight? And hey, guess what? Big West finally starts, but only one pair of teams plays. So uh, what's everyone watching this week? Pick you a few. Why not? I mean, I, yeah. Oh, we split up our Big West match. The same week. Hey, all right. Who's yeah, first? Who's first, Rob? Uh, let's go with uh, we'll go reverse. Go Theo, Brad, then Jay. Yeah, I, there's a, there's a couple of interesting ones. Um, I think obviously because we're playing Lewis this week, the the Lewis and Long Beach matchup is is definitely one that that I'll be keeping my eye on. Um, I I think. Lewis coming off of a couple of losses, a couple of, you know, maybe on their side, disappointing losses. Um, I think they're going to gear up and and prepare for this match. Well, that Long Beach team is really good. So I, you know, I don't anticipate Lewis necessarily beating them, but I think it's going to be competitive and maybe a lot more competitive than people realize. Um, the other one is USC and Grand Canyon. Um, I, you know, Grand Canyon, Obviously undefeated. I think there's a lot of pressure the longer that that continues to tick on. Um, USC coming off the of two wins against Concordia, but I think that matchup will be really interesting too. Dylan Klein is playing some pretty good ball. Well, also Jack Duker and their freshman, their six ten freshman, uh, Wes Smith, who uh, I believe they he was the offensive player of the week in the MPSF, and and he went off against Irvine, and he is uh, he's the real deal. If that's a freshman body. <laughs> Last time I checked, he's seven two, Rob, not six ten. <laughs> Every That's time right. I okay, see him, he looks bigger and bigger. <laughs> Cutbacks at the university. Yeah. <laughs> just just those ones for Theo. How about you, Brad? Uh, I got two. Uh, Will watch Stanford versus Pepperdine, seeing if Will Rotman makes his way back into play um, as we're getting into MPSF play, um, and then McKendry and. PFW um, will be a, a big one. McKendry had a, is off to a great start in Mevo play. Um, and this is another one that'll really kind of keep setting them in that, setting them up to be in that atop the top two spots for, for the Miva down the line. Yeah. By you, Jay. Hmm. Well, is UCLA at BYU or is BYU at UCLA? It's at BYU. I want to see if BYU goes from 91% win percentage at home down to 89% winning at home with that. I also will be watching Lewis and CSUN, not because uh, of anything other than I want to see these two guys get after it and uh, and see if there's any sparks that fly. Um, conference time for Big West, sponsored by the 405 Freeway and the G-Dot, uh, which, or I'm sorry, C-Dot is uh, Santa Barbara and san diego i know they're gonna have lots of uh rain in the next week or so i hope everybody down there stays dry uh so i'll be watching that one sponsored by mensa princeton versus harvard the wicked smack guys versus the einsteins it's gonna be uh a match for the ages uh and last but not least uh i too will be watching usc and uh, gcu but i'm going to be watching the one match sponsored by the Anagram Lovers of America, UCI versus CUI. <laughs> and I can call them Concordia Irvine because I am a graduate, so I can do that. So those are the matches I'll be watching. That's right. Uh, Jay with his roots in Irvine from coaching at UC Irvine to master's degree at CUI. 
So I went from the fighting banana slugs to the Zot. And now I'm out here, obviously, at Patriots. We don't have anything. <laughs> well, so, Jay, you actually brought up one matchup that's on my radar, and that is a UCLA-BYU series because I'd, I'd love to see the stat line on this. But so UCI took them 2-0. They lost Grand Canyon 2-0. That's four losses. UCLA comes up. Do they take one or do they go 6 When was the last time that happened? Well, they started out the year at 96% win, win rate at home, and now they're down to 91. I'm thinking UCLA is going to take both. It's going to be 89% win percentage. Yeah. Three. Somebody on Volatuck, I'm sure, is going to correct me and go, <laughs> no, actually, it's 93.4, and whatever. Okay. <laughs> I know we've gone long here, but you guys have maybe three more minutes, five more minutes, three to five? Yep. Yeah. I, I had this on my notes to you, and because this is kind of like the halfway point, I thought it'd be the right time to ask, but guys, your insight after seven weeks of play in Division One Two volleyball, just anything that you can gather uh, that, at least from the coach's eyes, that you're seeing happening this year. And uh, whoever wants to take the first shot, jump in. Yeah, I think I think we've seen that anybody can beat anybody. And if your top player or players are not on the court for some teams, uh, the chances of reloading and having the same type of weapon are pretty slim to none. Um, and I think that's exciting. Not the injury part. I don't want anybody to be injured, but the fact that anybody can beat anybody. Um, and as the year goes on, I think you're going to see the Grand Canyons, the UCLAs, the Long Beaches of the world. I think they're going to start to separate themselves a little bit. Next group is going to be the Ohio States, the Penn States, uh, the Hawaii's. They're, they're, they're going to be the group that's going to be in the hunt uh, legitimately. And then after that, it's kind of a jumble. Um, but, yeah, I think I think this is a fun year for men's volleyball. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch down the line. Yeah. Next. <laughs> right, Brad. I got – so I think right now we have three teams that we know could – be competing in May and can win it all with Long Beach, Grand Canyon, UCLA. Then I think there's another tier of teams that we think can, but we're not quite sure. And that'd be Irvine, Stanford, Hawaii, Penn State, Ohio State, maybe Ball State, maybe maybe uh, Loyola as well, right? And then kind of, then there's everyone else throughout the rankings. And I think the cool piece is we've seen teams from both those group, all three of those groupings beat teams from the other ones, you know, and there's just going to be a, a lot of parity and what we've seen so far in the parity and how that's going to translate to the conference tournaments and the national tournament is really exciting and really intriguing because anyone can come out of the conference tournament and seeing how that, shuffles the deck, how that messes with everyone. Um, and, you know, the projected RPIs, the projected um, at-large bids is going to, going to be really, really interesting. Um, but I, I think it's it's a much deeper field. Maybe it's the top isn't so top-heavy, but I think it's a, a deeper possible of candidates that we could see winning the, the national championship this year as opposed to years in the past. Yeah. Just I wanted to bounce this off you since you mentioned it, but isn't this the year they go to KPI and not RPI in the uh, the committee? I think so. I yeah. believe so. Okay. I, I I heard the discussion, but I have I don't know where you see these things documented with the NCA and all that. So I thought it bounced off you guys. If, so, if uh, it was women's volleyball, it'd be all over the internet, it'd be all over CNN, it'd be all over the newspapers. So men's volleyball, we get page 14 on the opinion section of a local regional newspaper in somebody's backyard. Below the Chick-fil-A ad. Below the Chick-fil-A ad. <laughs> and above the adult bookstore ad. <laughs> That's what I hear, right, Jay? I heard, right. I heard. So I heard, allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Theo. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think this has been one of the most unique seasons yet. Um, I don't know that, I don't know that men's volleyball could could continue to get any more interesting than it is from a product perspective. You know, you talk about you talk about different sports and you talk about their what what makes people want to watch, right? 
And every, I think every single sport has their niche and ours is incredibly unique. You know, if you go and watch, you know, the, the, the NCAA basketballs, the, and the NCAA footballs of the world, you're not going to see a PFW beat a Penn state, right? You're not going to see a CSUN beat a Stanford. It, it, it doesn't happen in those sports the way that it happens in ours. And I think that that's what makes it so interesting. You know, you go watch UFC. The reason people love UFC is for knockouts. The, the reason people watch the NBA and, and, and physical basketball is for the dunking. And for March Madness and NCAA basketball, the reason people watch it is for the Cinderella story, right? The, the, the 16 seed that can, can find a way, right, to get there and knock somebody off. This sport, if it was given a proper tournament, would yield one of the most interesting and fun postseasons that we could see. And, you know, Jay mentioned it probably three times just in this episode. Because of the way it's laid out right now, we're going to see great teams left behind. And that has always been the case. But as we continue to expand, it's becoming even more so the case that great teams are left behind when they deserve to have a shot. And so what I've watched this year has been one of the, one of the coolest seasons in terms of the upsets and the ups and downs and, and then watching teams go ahead and turn it around. And I hope that that continues. And I hope that at some point we find a way for the NCAA to realize, Hey, we got something special here and we need to grow it. There's three things that I want to leave this podcast with. One is we need to find a way to broadcast nationally the semifinals on in each of the conference championships. That is our bracket starting. And you could start to see how things shake out. So someone on Bali Talk, someone out there with some spare time, when we get to that time of the year, create a bracket that shows all the teams playing in the semifinals of their conference and show that thing whittling down you're going to see it take off a little bit. Secondly, uh, NBA All-Star Game, second most useless thing in the world behind a left-handed bacon stretcher. When the hell are we going to let those guys just, you know, say that they made the thing? 211 points? What? What are we playing, horse? It's the dumbest thing in the world to watch. And then I want to give kudos. I forgot who it was. It might have been the Ball State Loyola game. Might have been someone else. Somebody's finally starting to show volleyball the way it's supposed to be played from behind the end line. That's how TV for volleyball needs to be shown. And I'm sorry that I don't, I don't remember who it was, but if somebody out there can remember who it was and post it, you need to be commended for that. We've been talking about it forever. Men's coaches, we all watch from behind the end line. Now you can see the plays develop and the lanes open up. Everybody out there, ESPN plus anybody who's shown men's volleyball, Get a camera behind each end line and play the game either coming at you or going away. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Volumetrics channel. Let's get sponsorship. It's a smart move. (laughs) Well, all great insights after seven weeks of a completed play in men's division one, two volleyball. And with that, we end our episode here in our week seven recap. Week 8 preview. That's Brad Rossetter of UC San Diego, Jay Hosick of George Mason, Theo Edwards of CSUN, and dropping off early and dropping his player pick of the week was Dan Lewis, a Dan friend of Lewis. Uh, Good luck, gentlemen. Appreciate all your efforts and your time this week. Always some excellent stuff. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.